please join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, or Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. Our scripture passage this morning comes to us from the Apostle Paul. And this is a letter that we now know as 1 Timothy. It was one of the letters that we have, we have two, that Paul wrote to his dear friend um, and mentee. And we also have reference to Timothy in some of the other letters that Paul wrote. So if you can remember way back several weeks ago on the Sunday before Labor Day, Reverend Sarah read the letter to Philemon. And in that letter, Paul begins by saying that he's sending his greeting along with Timothy's. And so it's clear, even though we just have a couple letters directly to Timothy, that the two worked closely together and that the early church recognized Timothy as maybe a delegate of Paul's in some way, that he was someone who carried the message along with him and uh, for him. And for this Sunday and a couple Sundays, we're going to be focusing on learning from people of peace, people of purpose, um, folks who have worked in their ways to pave the way for peace and inclusion. And so we're going to be thinking a bit about carrying the message forward, which is why we're beginning with this letter. And what I invite you to do today is to notice as we read what values it is that Paul is emphasizing when he is teaching Timothy how to teach. So from 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my loyal child in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I urge you, when I did on my way to Macedonia, to remain in Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain people not to teach any different doctrine and not to occupy themselves with myths and endless genealogies that promote speculation rather than the divine training that is known by faith but to teach with the aim of such instruction that is love. Love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And so today, as we are trying to be people of a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. We're going to be learning from Madonna Thunderhawk this morning. Madonna Thunderhawk is a Lakota leader who has been active in civil resistance movements for Native American rights since the 1960s. She's co-founded several groups 
that have focused on the particular challenges facing Native people, including land rights, Native women's rights, and schools. And she's currently active in the Lakota People's Law Project, whose mission has been to partner with Native communities to protect sacred lands, to um, safeguard human rights, to promote sustainability, and to reunite indigenous families. And I'm telling you all that background because we're going to dive into a small piece of her work first by watching a video that she did with the people, the Lakota People's Law Project, in 2018. And you will hear her in this video talk about the inspiration for what she does. My grandmother always questioned authority. She had that attitude. She was bilingual. She could speak perfect English and Dakota. She was a Dakota. And uh, so I, I, I just took that for granted. And you know, I didn't realize that not everybody's grandmother wrote to the President of the United States in 1940, you know? Our ancestors lived in a matriarchal society. And so when the colonization came, uh, that changed all that. But everyday living, everyone, I would say, you know, I was the influence of the grandmother. And so those remnants of our culture are still there. So when things happen like under stress and duress and a camp forms, it's automatic that the matriarchal system kicks in. For survival. for survival, and that's who we are, we are. survivors. The whole idea, the whole idea of, uh, of criminal charges criminal against charges people, that people that stood, stood in, prayer, in prayer, unarmed, unarmed against, corporate against corporate and federal, federal might, might, those are the issues, are that, the are, issues that, are, that are that are so that important are so for us as a people because that's how we've always had to make our stand. Even though we're outnumbered, even, even though we don't have the resources. You know, we, we always have that, because we are the land, and we always can stand on our inherent rights and our freedoms. The influence of the grandmother. Did you hear her say that right towards the beginning? I love that phrase, and it reminded me of another story. And this one comes from Dr. Lisa Miller, who is a professor of psychology and education at Columbia University. And she tells this story of one day getting on the subway and seeing that half of it was crowded, really crowded, but the other half was empty. And the only person in the other half of this subway car was a man who appeared to be homeless, he had his, uh, some fast food on his lap, and he was screaming at anybody who came close to him. And as the subway continued at one stop, a grandmother and a granddaughter, and the granddaughter looked to be maybe eight, got on the subway. And they were both dressed up um, with, you know, maybe pastel sort of dresses and gloves with lace trim. And this wasn't that long ago, so this stood out. 
And when the man spotted them, he screamed at them, Hey, do you want to sit with me? And they looked at each other, and they nodded, and they replied together, Thank you. And then they sat down right next to him. And as the journey went on, the man offered them some chicken from his bag, and they would look at each other and nod, and then say together, no thank you. And each time this happened with him offering the chicken, it repeated. They looked at each other, they nodded to each other, and then they said, no thank you. And finally, after this went on for several minutes, the man calmed, and they all sat there together, just contentedly on their way. When Dr. Miller tells this story, she tells the story because she was struck by the power of the nod. She says in her book, The Spiritual Child, the nod was spirituality shared between child and beloved elder. It was spiritual direction, values, taught and received in a loving relationship. The nod is such a lovely phrase for all of the ways that we pass on our values. And sometimes when we talk about passing on our values, especially in the faith world, we talk about it um, abstractly, like passing on beliefs. Some of you may have grown up in families or faith communities that stressed the aspect of saying a certain thing or following a certain creed. But when we think about the spirituality that's present in that nod, we're thinking about how we are passing on the faith that is present, not just in what we say, but in what we do. Some of the more boring parts of the Bible come in the lists of genealogies. And sometimes when we read those, we read those lists um, as an account of chosen people. So for Christmas, for example, they often show up and we'll read the genealogies tracing Jesus' ancestry back to David. And we do that as proof that he was fulfillment of a prophecy. But I think those lists can also serve as reminders that each of us is only one link in a chain of people. That even though each of our lives is finite, we have the power to influence generations to come. In learning a little bit about Madonna Thunderhawk's life, what became clear was that she has experienced both the negative and the, as and the positive aspects of this power, of being in this chain of people. And she talked in the video about how her grandmother influenced her. But what also comes up in her other work is that she was shaped as well by unjust decisions that were made well before she was alive. She attended one of the federal Indian boarding schools. 
which you know were designed to assimilate Native people into the white American way of life, and they were unforgiving places for a child to grow up. And the things that she continues to work for today, for land rights, for honoring the treaty agreements that were made generations ago, for better services and laws, for ending the illegal removal of Native American children, which still continues in some ways often to foster homes. Those are all causes that she inherited because they had not been fairly handled before. We all inherit some things we wish we didn't. I'm sure that you can name some of those things yourself. Sometimes it's personal as the way our families work. There are traumas and behaviors that get passed down generationally within families. And those continue until someone or probably several someones breaks that cycle. And that's the same type of cycle that we're talking about playing out on a bigger scale. We don't have a lot of choice over what we inherit. But we do have some say in what we pass on. We have some choices about what our nod will be. What are the values and the hopes that we are going to share with the dream that they will become part of the fabric of life for future generations? What are those for each of you? And that question reminds me of being, of the principle of being a good ancestor. Some of you talk about that sometimes in this way of living, good ancestors put future generations' needs at the center of their decision-making. When we live into being a good ancestor, we aren't driven so much by the short-term decision-making of our personal um, goals. Our sense of time is expanded. So that includes the things that aren't just good for us, but are good for the generations that come after us. In the book of Genesis, which is the book of beginnings, there is a beginning that starts with the story of Abram. Some of you know this story already. God comes to Abram, and he comes really out of the blue. And God says, Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you and in, all, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. When we just look at that story by itself, the blessing sounds like a static thing. But when we hold that story alongside the idea of the influence of the grandmother or of the spiritual nod that Lisa Miller talks about, I hear something different. I hear a choice. At different times of life, we all make decisions about what we leave behind and what we pass on. And I know, too, that those choices look 
different at different times of our life. Sometimes we aren't able to do all the things that we used to do, to do the work that we used to engage in. Sometimes we are waiting for a time when we can do more. But we can still choose at each point along the way, even in those daily interactions, to be a blessing. And when we do, then the hope is that at some point when someone looks back at their life and give thanks for the people who influenced them to live well and to do good, then we might be some of the people that they name. And so this week, as we continue the reflection time that we began in here, I have a suggestion that you might do in journaling or in prayer. And that is just to take a moment to think about the people that you have learned from. What are the stories that you have inherited and the values that were passed down to you? Who is the influence of a spiritual grandparent or a mentor? And then, as you think about those values that you have inherited, think about how you would like to pass them on. May the reflection continue.